1: Welcome to the Tea for the Queen podcast, the podcast where we try to keep our sanity in an era of staying woke. We explore current events and issues through the lens of feminism, progressive thought, discussion, peace, and love. My name is Tierra Burns. I am your host, and this is your episode. Okay, before we get started, have you ever thought about doing what I'm doing right now, starting your own podcast? Has anyone ever told you that it's complicated and you need a sound engineer, a studio, and all this major equipment to do so? Well, you don't need that. All you need is the Anchor app. It's free. They will pair you with sponsors that they find for you. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And let's start the show. I have to let you guys know that this topic today is very near and dear to my heart, and I know that you may have been surprised by the what's read on um on the title. But this episode was recorded about a, a little bit over a month ago. I haught, I had to halt production on this episode because I wanted to make sure that I was coming to it with the most sincerity and respect that it deserves. So today we're going to be talking about eating disorders. I'm just putting that out there. Um, if you feel that you may be triggered, which I don't think you you will be because I, I made sure to um, be very careful, um, then possibly this may not be the episode for you. And if you need to go back and listen to a guided meditation, then that's fine. I fully support that. But... This episode, I'm talking about eating disorders, especially eating disorders and how they affect Black women, because um, oftentimes the assumption is that we do not experience eating disorders because, unfortunately, very unfortunately, the face of eating disorders has been painted to be very thin, pale, white, young girls, possibly under the age, usually under the age of 25. Um, so the assumption is is that if you are, if you don't fit any of those categories, even if you are a man that you wouldn't experience an unhealthy relationship with food or even an unhealthy relationship with your body. But today I want to talk about that and say that that's not true. Um, there are mainly four different, uh, eating disorders and not all of them are, none They're not uh, anorexia and everyone's not frail. and um, my eating disorder of choice was bulimia. And it's something that I dealt with, uh, God, since I was a teenager, but being on the other side of that, um, and coming into 2020, I realized that being in isolation and being in quarantine, I, I did not have all of the protective uh, markers that protected me from, I guess you could say relapse or anything like that single I did not have the social markers or even the distraction of work to keep me from doing anything like that or not um looking at my body in the most positive way instead what I did have was social media um constantly watching brand new movies and reality series reality series on Netflix and television um in minimal contact with the people a lot of people who care about me in my life so I know this for someone who has the same experience as I did. It it would have been easy to fall back into the same um, detrimental patterns. But I decided to, I'm not going to do that. I have to protect myself. And um, it's okay if I am, as a black woman, am not uh, very curvaceous. Right now we live in a time where... um, not only is the the extreme curves of a black woman are edified and duplicated, but the exaggeration of that body is uh, edified and duplicated. So we have lip fillers, BBLs, all these things that um, that women across everywhere, even some men. Um, feel they have to have to be valuable in our society today. So to, on today's episode, um, my guest, my very very special guest, we talk about um, what it's like to be in the black community and the relationship with food, and how to overcome some of those things and why some of these these uh these overlooking of um, eating disorders in our community have been there even from professionals, um, and why. Thinness does not equate to health or even happiness, so I know you guys will enjoy this episode. Please let me know what you think. I'm going to stop now, and I'll see you on the other end. Today's guest is Dr. Carolyn Ross. She's an expert in treating eating disorders and addictions. She helps people struggling with to over not struggling but to overcome binge eating compulsive eating overeating food addiction emotional eating and to put an end to their cravings by doing this she helps people to stop using food to deal with their feelings and to make peace with food and their bodies and to finally get off the diet treadmill which is something i know that we all could uh could use a little bit of getting off of because i'm thinking about going keto but um this episode and this conversation was so much fun. Um I know that you guys will enjoy it and I hope you take some gems from it. I'm going to stop here and I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> where are you where are you located? Right now I'm in uh Northampton, UK. Oh, you're in the UK? Yes. Oh, so oh. it's about six so But are, are you American? Yeah, I'm American. That's what I thought. How yeah. did you
2: end up in the UK? Did you marry a British man?
1: No, hopefully. <laughs> My parents yeah. are actually here. So when the, um, when the virus happened and lockdown happened, I just honestly saw it as an opportunity to come have a long stay with them. I haven't been able to do that. So awesome. I'm here. Um, have you been before?
2: I was actually married to a Brit. What? Wow. Did you live here? I did not. We, okay. we visited uh, a couple times, but I've also been there on vacation.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. And back home, I live in Texas, so this has been a breath of fresh air.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I grew up in Texas. So. Okay.
1: And I saw that, um, I think you, you're, you went to the University of Michigan?
2: Yeah.
1: Where's where I'm from originally. So, from Ann
2: from Michigan. Well,
1: I'm from Michigan. Went to school and kind of grew up in Farmington Hills. So, oh wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> again, all around.
2: <laughs> yeah, look at you, that's wonderful. Well, I just got a notification that they're okay with the change of the meeting. So let's go forward.
1: Okay. Well, I invited you on the show today, um, and I'm not sure if you looked at the, um, the purpose of the show, but Tea for the Queen is about keeping your sanity in an era of staying woke. So I try to tackle conversations that people aren't necessarily uncomfortable with and just try to bring, I guess you can say, some calmness and saneness to them. Um, and I brought you on here because I have dealt with an eating disorder in the past, and I noticed that it's a topic that not a lot of people talk about especially when it comes to black women even when I was seeking like therapy I did not um, sometimes I would get a professional who didn't believe me <laughs> just because just because um, of what the belief is for black women so I wanted to bring light to the topic and bring more of um, a discussion around it so that's why I have you on here so if you could just explain a little bit of what you do that would be great yeah thanks so much for having me on your
2: Uh, show, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I think you're right. It's something that people need to hear about because many people, including professionals, do not think that Black women can have an eating disorder and often misdiagnose them or or don't diagnose them as having an eating disorder, even when they can have the same symptoms as someone who obviously is white and has, has been diagnosed. So, uh, what I, you know, my background is um, I'm a specialist in eating disorders and addictions. Um, I graduated from University of Michigan Med School and I have a board certified in both preventive medicine and addiction medicine. And I also have an online program for people with binge eating, compulsive reading, food addiction, and emotional eating. And I speak around the country on topics about. Uh, African-American women with eating disorders and more recently you know talking about staying woke more recently I've been I'm part of a group that does consulting with treatment centers on equity anti-racism in the field of you know eating disorders and
1: addictions. Wow and how did you like what was I guess the impetus of you um, becoming or having the passion to start this mission?
2: Yeah, I you know I think for me it started with um, both my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have some of these issues in my family, and also I I primarily in my career, at least in the first twenty years, worked with women. Mm -hmm. And as you know, food and body image issues are really big issues among females, Mm -hmm. and uh, also you know among Black females. So that's how I got started. And I think for me, I I really enjoyed the component of eating disorders that involves body, mind, and spirit. So my training, and I did a fellowship in integrative medicine with Andrew Wiles program in Arizona. So that really, that holistic approach really fits well with uh, working with people with eating disorders.
1: Okay. And well, So you said that um, you're interested, well, you've been very excited to work with eating disorders with Black women. Now, why do you think that Black women aren't talked about in the the aspect of eating disorders? When I looked up a person with an eating disorder, when I tell you I had to keep scrolling until I found a person of color, it took forever. It didn't take as long with men, but for me to find a person of color it took a while on Google image search. Oh my, okay. (laughs) i need to get my
2: marketing person on that (laughs) yeah you know i i think there's a lot of um beliefs at Mm -hmm. least in the dominant culture that for example that um you know body image with black women is not as big of a problem that black women are more tolerant of living in larger bodies and therefore you know that means that they don 't have eating disorders there's just a lot of misconceptions honestly uh, about eating disorders in black women and and then honestly there's a lot of bias if you think about how psychologists and medical doctors are trained, all of the research has been done on white women, primarily with anorexia and bulimia right yeah. and um, you know there ha- has been uh, not a lot of research in people of color with eating disorders you know there are some articles out there but there's not a lot Mm -hmm. and so I think psychologists and therapists and so on have been trained that this is a problem in, you know upper class white
1: women Mm -hmm. and another thing I've noticed that when you go into to see your family doctor if you're overweight um and you tell them you have an eating disorder um well you don't even have to tell them you could say you're having some different behavior around food um the assumption is okay well at least you're not overweight and for me I know I have had to deal with like the guilt of being overweight and I think that went into um my whole my whole um the psyche behind my eating disorder but why do you think doctors do not um why do you think they don't not necessarily believe but why do you think that they think that black women are supposed aren't supposed to be big so it's a good thing if we're very thin yeah yeah yeah
2: I think the medical profession is a little bit of an enigma for all of us. I'm in the medical profession. I still think it's an enigma. You know, there's just a ton of weight stigma. Actually, medical professionals are the number two source of weight stigma after family members. Wow. So doctors have been trained for over 30 years that... Being heavy is, you know, bad for your health. It's bad for everything about your health. And now we have the COVID outbreak and now they're blaming uh, COVID on weight, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it, it's uh, it's kind of a blind spot in medicine. Mm-hmm. And the newer research and more accurate research has shown over and over that it's not the number on the scale that is, is the cause of bad health it's really more, you know, lifestyle factors, Mm -hmm. genetics, and so on. Um, So, you know, there are many women who can uh, be living in larger bodies and be very healthy because they're active and they're, you know, they're eating well and, and taking good care of themselves. And there are many thin women who have bad health because they are not doing those things. But there's just a lot of weight bias and you know, I get that question almost every time I get interviewed, because people think, well, your doctor should know, you know, they should understand this, but they really don't.
1: Now, you said that your doctor should know. One thing that I have always, I guess you say, been an advocate for is that I, I don't know what happens in medical school. I haven't been before don't plan on it um but I think that there should be a more holistic approach to um doctors and you can correct me if I'm wrong is there an approach or an education of um, them understanding that there are more than just numbers and data when it comes to someone's health do they do they talk about how anxiety affects the body or anything like that Yeah. I mean, I think some of that is
2: changing and, but you know, the the studies show that it takes uh, health professionals 17 years to change Mm -hmm. their mindset. So, you know, you have generations of doctors who are already out of medical school who haven't been trained that way and, you know, that they're not going to change their viewpoints. So we have to kind of wait for another generation and hope that they're getting better training.
1: Yeah, I recall on your most recent update list to your podcast, but you said that 10 years, it takes like the ones who are graduating basically have information from 10 years ago. That's so, right. Yeah, exactly. So they, it's like a cycle of like, I guess you can say um like a continuing education. Like yeah. you have to go back and see what's new. And do the doctors have to make the effort themselves? Yeah, but you know, most of what's new
0: mm-hmm.
2: What, what you're calling, every doctor has to do continuing education, mm-hmm. but a, a lot of that is not about what's new and cutting edge, it's really more about traditional medicine, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I I did the fellowship in integrative medicine, because mm-hmm. it does teach this holistic approach, and now, you know, Andrew Weil kind of started that whole uh, thing of teaching integrative medicine, in medical schools, and now there are, I think, over 25 medical schools that offer some kind of fellowship or um, residency component where they combine integrative medicine with uh, traditional Western medicine. So again, things are changing, but Mm -hmm. it's going to be a while. So I think the best thing to talk about really is what can women like yourself do if you go into a doctor's office and you need help and you're not able to get the help you need, like, where do you look and what kinds of things can 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 help you, you know, get better?
1: Now, I did, and I also watched your TED Talk. Um, I did a lot of research on you. Very. Thank you thank oh. <laughs> you yeah, so much um now um your TED talk you talked a lot about trauma and uh, I think that I like the word that you use um generational trauma I don't necessarily care for the term generational curse because to me oh, no. trauma sounds like something I can do something about and when I hear the term generational curse I hear it in the aspect of okay this is just how we are we can't do anything about it I agree with you
2: I don't like that term either
1: so, how would trauma, um, how would it, I guess, manifest in someone having an eating disorder, specifically a black woman?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question, and that's actually, you know, doing my TED talk led me to investigate my own family more because we had, like I said, so many of these problems that I myself were seeing in my patients, and when I looked back at the family, you know, many black Americans can trace their heritage all the way back to slavery. And certainly in our family, we, we are able to do that. My grandfather was born on the plantation where his parents were slaves and he, you know, he practiced medicine like, I don't know, 30 miles away from that self-same plantation. And uh, so, you know, when I looked at our family tree, as I say, in the TEDx talk, you know, I I start to see all of the mental illness, the, you know, problems with food and, and um, body image stuff, the addictions that were in our family. And it was shocking to me. So I, you know, I started looking deeper. And what I realized is that this intergenerational trauma, which is a sim- simply defined trauma that's passed from one generation to children and grandchildren, of future generations and p- many people say well how could that be you know if they didn't experience the trauma how could that happen mm-hmm. well the research started in the 60s with the holocaust survivors and their offspring and they were seeing that you know these people ha- their offspring had a lot of psychological challenges mm-hmm. and then dr joy degru who, uh, who wrote uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome looked The same way into families of of, uh, descendants of slaves, and found you know a host of different characteristics that seem to predispose them to an increased risk for you know depression, anxiety, um, obesity, etc. So the way that it works is. Uh, and the Adverse Childhood Experiences study that's run by the Centers for Disease Control has looked at this as well. And they have found that what happens in childhood changes the hard wiring of the brain, particularly affecting the dopamine reward center. And these changes then predispose a person to having depression, anxiety, you know, eating issues, uh, addictions, and over 40 medical conditions. Mm. So something happens to you as a child. It doesn't change your DNA, but it Mm -hmm. changes the expression of your DNA. And that's called epigenetics, where the gene is turned on or off Mm -hmm. by this trauma. And we know that little black children, no matter what socioeconomic status they have, have higher rates of trauma and PTSD than uh, white children do. Mm -hmm. So this trauma and also the trauma of poverty or living in dangerous urban environments, sometimes all of these things then can predispose, you know, black girls and then women to having eating
1: disorders. Now, you said What I've heard before is that okay, my parents moved, moved us out in the to the suburbs in the yeah. 2000s with the they call it the black flight after the white flight, um, yeah. and the, the assumption was that okay, if you're a black girl and you have an eating disorder, um, it's because you were around a lot of I guess white people, um, and that is partially true that the more <laughs>
2: The more identified you are with the dominant or white society, mm. the more likely you are to have gotten the picture that being thin is desirable.
1: Really? Okay.
2: Yeah. So they call that acculturation. A so the more acculturated a black woman is or black child is, the mm. more likely they are to identify and and we've seen this, they, they did this, you know, famous study in Fiji, where, mm-hmm. you know, the Fijians were very happy with their body size and shape, and they actually glorified bigger bodies. Mm-hmm. And then when, um, you know, Western TV was brought to the island, within a very short period of time, they started uh, doing extreme dieting and trying to reach the thin ideal. So... This is, that's what happens when Western society, uh, you know, comes into into play. So that acculturation is part of what can predispose uh, Black women who have been living in the broader society to think they should look like, you know, everybody else.
1: Society, yeah. Now, um, another expert I talked to, she deals with disordered eating. Um, What is, is, as far as your definition as a professional, what is the difference between eating disorder and disordered eating? You know, it's just all part of a scale,
2: like, you know, at the far end of the spectrum is disordered eating, which kind of is the beginning of things, and then, then you have uh, eating disorders of different levels of severity, so I think it's all part of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but
1: yeah, that's how I would define it okay she she said that it um, she said that black women are, and I, I haven't published the episode because I'm not sure if I necessarily agree, um but she said that black women are tend to be overweight because we have disordered eating habits due to the trauma of scarcity of slavery. Would you agree with that? What do you think about well, that? You know, I don't think we have any research on that.
2: Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think that's very far-fetched.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they, we know that, um, you know, if you look at other cultures where there have been periods of starvation, mm-hmm. um, I think the uh, Denmark, was it Denmark who had the winter famine? And they saw that uh, children who were uh, in utero, So before they were born, they went through that winter famine, Mm -hmm. had a lot of problems with eating and weight and so on. So it's not that far-fetched to think that possibly, you know, that's one of the epigenetic changes Mm -hmm. that could have happened during slavery for sure.
1: Okay. Now, another thing that I've always not quite understood is that... um, I guess you could say, in the urban community, you're praised if you're, you know, if you're, if you're larger. But in the suburban community, you're praised if you're thinner. Um, and me, I had kind of in the the house. Okay, outside the house, thin. In the house, you're getting too thin. So I was always trying to um, balance that in you know be from not, not too thin but not too thick, you know what I mean? So yeah. what would you say to someone who, who's dealing with that right now? Mm-hmm. Especially I in the age of social media. I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, I you know I, I think that's
2: a real problem and mm-hmm. um but I think the the biggest problem is that we as women
0: mm-hmm.
1: look
2: outside of ourselves to see who who we need to be.
1: Hmm. And,
2: when, and, you know, and that's, that's one of the flaws, I think, that we experience. And particularly if you, it's, you know, it's harder to say, you can't say this to a child, but as a grown woman, I can say this to you, yeah. that, you know, I had to come to terms with, you know, who I am, like, mm-hmm. what can I, like, what can I sustain and be happy with? And stop looking out here for validation, mm-hmm. and that's a hard process. But I think it's a more worthwhile process rather rather than me saying to you, "Oh no, you should, you know, you should identify with being thick. Mm-hmm. Just go for it, girl. Do your thing." Or, or no, you, you know, you need to be thin because you have to be healthy. Yeah, you know, there's all that healthism stuff. You can't be healthy unless you're thin. But I think it's really. Um, it, I, I personally feel it's really sad in our culture mm-hmm. that there's so much darn focus on this issue. You go, you know, I've traveled to Africa. I've traveled to many third world countries. Nobody's talking about this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Nobody
2: is. People are, are the size they are. They feel they're, you know, I had a, a nanny from, from my youngest son from, uh, uh Eritrea mm-hmm. and she was a bigger woman. And in the U.S., she would have been considered too big. She thought she was the sexiest thing on earth, you know? <laughs> she was. I mean, she did. She was, yes. Yes. And, and it, her size didn't even, she didn't even consider size an issue regarding who she was, how sexy she felt, who she was going to hit on, you know, none of that. So I just feel we, as particularly as Black women, need to start. We need to go to Africa and visit our African sisters and, and get some get some uh, training over there.
1: <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to go next month. Like I'm really trying to go to Nigeria. Uh, yeah. So what kind have you been to Africa yet? Several times. Yeah. yeah. And what did you notice? Did you notice any difference in body variety, or was it just? Just an appreciation for different bodies. Well, I mean,
2: every every uh,
1: country, every
2: population has changes in body. They have differences in body size. I don't know if you've seen that video, Poodle Science. No, what's that? I'll, I'll, I'll send you the clip. But they talk about how if you look at the dog population, there are poodles, there are you know bigger dogs, there are tinier dogs it's the same with humans right there's some of us are tall short you know round skinny that's just natural variation and the fact that we're trying to all fit into one size is outrageous and this all started actually during slavery it started with the demonization of black women's bodies. Mm. And the thin ideal was developed as a way to uh, portray white women as more morally superior because they didn't eat as much, they were thinner, they were very chaste and so on. And in contradistinction to that, uh, the black women's bodies were sexualized. They were either portrayed as mammy or as you know sexualized beings and their bodies were denigrated and felt to be you know demonic and so this that was the origin of the thin ideal so now you now you can ask me that question again should i identify with the thin ideal or with being thick because that's the origin it's from slavery
0: mm.
2: so
1: the demonization. Um, do you mind elaborating it a little? Elaborating a little more on that. On what you mean by demonization? Yeah,
2: the demonization of the black female body. Mm-hmm. I think had to do with the complex social nature of slavery and the fact that white men were, you know, raping women's slaves, mm-hmm. slave women, mm-hmm. and. You know there had to be some explanation made for why are all these white men leaving their marital bed to go and rape a slave so the, this came out of that kind of phenomenon, which was an explanation it was like well she it's kind of the she made me do it defense was it like she it must be because she's a witch yeah she's a yeah she's a witch uh she tricked me, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm under her spell. And I mean if you've seen that movie Twelve Years a Slave, mm-hmm. that guy was crazy. He was crazily obsessed That's with right. Patty, the slave, right? Mm-hmm. And so and the and the woman, the white woman, his wife, was extremely jealous. Yeah. Even though she's not really realizing do you think Patty wanted to be raped by that man every day? Heck no. Yeah. But she's seeing her husband preferentially go to a slave woman. So that's how that whole thin ideal, the thin ideal was moral superiority.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm a better person because I don't have to overindulge. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm Christian that it's now morphed into Christian women have to be thin and so on. But it it's part of the legacy of slavery. It's really,
1: it's a weird thing, isn't it? It's kind of strange because slavery just seeps into every single legacy in society. Even when you don't think it's there, it's really rooted at every single thing
2: that's why i liked the new york times um, podcast
1: 1619 yes i love that podcast oh it's <laughs> so good
2: it's such an accomplishment because it looks at all aspects of american society and how slavery impacted those everything from music to fashion to You know, care, even even the financial system, you know, how
1: the financial system was. Even uh, the model for working, that was one of my particularly favorite episodes on how they used to, how they determine, um, I don't know if you worked in retail before, but she connected it to retail based on how much you're pushing out and how much people are like pushing cotton from the field. It's like trickled everywhere.
2: I know. So. That's why I think when you look at the then ideal, you have to look at it in the context of slavery and how it came about. And then you have to ask yourself, do I really want to continue that legacy? No. Yeah. I mean, because no. for me, I don't. I want to find my own level where I'm comfortable with my body. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard because, you, you know, you go to the doctor and no matter what's wrong with you, they're going to say oh you need to lose weight and you know and that's been said to me yes, too yes. I, mean, I am a doctor mm-hmm. and i've gotten into a couple of fights with colleagues over that i'm just like you know what my weight is really none of your business
0: mm-hmm.
2: if i need your help i won't come to you because you've never been trained in this issue <laughs> you know doctors don't get any nutrition training so for them to be talking about losing weight is stupid like yeah. what are you going to do they recommend a diet to you. I'm like, I'm not going on a diet. Are
1: you kidding me, lady? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you think I'm stupid? <laughs> yeah, I think when they, because re- I've been recommended so many diets, um, it, just- it just puts you in like this perpetual state of being on a diet mentally and it never stops. It's like every, every few weeks, you're okay, like, okay, I need to get back on a diet. Um what do you have to say about the in the perpetual diet mentality that like we're told to be? Like? How much time do we have left? <laughs> <laughs> Cuz you know what?
2: Uh, that's that's my rant. This is what I feel women are so taken advantage of yes. and we've been so mesmerized by the thin ideal that mm-hmm. you know the diet industry which is you know, mostly billion rich billion. white men, you know, now Oprah, who part, part owner of Weight Watchers, but, you know, the diet industry is over $65 billion industry. What could you use that money for? So much. So, so much. Where food should be, where people don't yeah. And, and to help people have better access to mm-hmm. activities, to help children who've been, you know, traumatized, to help heal them. You know, there's so much more. But I just think about all the women I know who have spent thousands of dollars on diets. And we have absolutely perfect research that shows that diets do not work. There was a 15-year study by the National Institutes of Health, $15 million study, 15 years, and people were unable to maintain even more than a 5% weight loss. Wow. And that's the biggest brains in our country trying to help people lose weight, Mm -hmm. and they couldn't. And, the only, and, and they realized, you know, this is more complicated than we thought. And the thing about diets is, is it just makes everything worse. Yeah. I talked to so many patients who were put on diets when they were five years old. And I just think to myself, what if you were never put on that first diet? What if you were never told that you needed to lose weight? And maybe you were, you know, a little bit plumper or whatever than somebody else. So, what? At least you don't, your life hasn't been taken over Mm -hmm. by dieting. At least you're not obsessed about your weight, that you can't enjoy life. You can't look for a husband. You can't find your perfect career because you're waiting Mm -hmm. to lose weight.
1: Yeah, I've so, been in that space so many times. Where okay, I can't do this until I lose weight. I can't find a new job until, until I lose weight. It just it just creates this um this ideal of worthiness based on your body looking like the dominant culture. It's, it's really destructive. Really you destructive. need
2: to go to Nigeria because in Nigeria, in Africa, everywhere, even South Africa, black is the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. So that shifts the whole game. Mm-hmm. You walking down the street, I'm skinny there. I feel bad because I feel like I need to gain some weight. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just saying they're just beautiful black people naturally being whatever weight they're naturally supposed to be. And there you are part of the dominant culture. And people look at you and they're just like, oh, look at you. You're beautiful. You know, you feel different. Yeah. you'll see you're gonna have to let me know once you go
1: oh I will I'll share pictures of you, with you and everything and
2: I, I want you to tell me how you feel uh, about your body when you're there okay yep.
1: uh, that's I, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about my body I know that um hey. okay I'll take hey. your word for it no just
2: wait and see if it doesn't work for you it doesn't but Even when I go to Mexico, I feel a lot sexier than I do in the U S Really, because there's just more body acceptance. Mm -hmm. What, you know, women in the U S and in Western culture are living under, I don't want to get too political, but we're living under oppression.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And one way that people keep us from being as good as we could be is the diet industry. Yeah. As if you know, if your woman is always worried about how she looks and she can't go for that promotion because she doesn't think she's good enough because she's heavy,
1: mm-hmm. then
2: who's gonna who who it who benefits from that?
1: Yeah. White men, yeah.
2: Same as slavery, no different. Wow, see, Just keeps on
1: seeping through. Just <laughs> <you> say <see>? slavery. <laughs> it it all does right keep there. coming back, doesn't it? <laughs> well I do have just a couple more questions uh, for you I, I don't want to take up too much of your time um, my last question is how would someone who if someone has um, a black woman in their life how would they help them with their eating disorder if you know yeah. I think once you get to be an adult you
2: really and you have an eating disorder you need to have professional help Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why this group of us are trying to train Mm -hmm. people in treatment centers to be more culturally competent so that Black women can get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think once you have an eating disorder, it's better to to deal with an expert. Mm -hmm. But if you have somebody you love who has an eating disorder, I have so many of my patients who have said, You know, my husband has always loved me no matter what size I was. My husband has always told me I was beautiful no matter my size. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what is needed, but it's not going to, it's not going to be enough. I'm
1: sorry, go on. No, go on. What does professional help look like? How, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, there are different
2: levels of professional help, like, um, you know, and I have a private practice as well as an online program. Mm-hmm. So people work with me individually. Sometimes there's many other black therapists who, mm-hmm. you know, specialize in treating eating disorders and we're training more and more. Uh, so I'm I'm the co-chair of the African-American eating disorder professional slash BIPOC committee under IADEP, which is the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. Okay. So (laughs) AAEDP-BIPOC AAEDP is a subcommittee. And Mm -hmm. if you're uh, a therapist or, you know, we have people from all over the world who join. Mm -hmm. And our committee is responsible for educating them about the issues of black people and people of color indigenous people with eating disorders so we have webinars online if you you know if you're a member of iedap you can access webinars uh blogs etc about this very topic
1: yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure.
2: I look forward to hearing from you as you go through your your journey. I
1: I hope you'll keep in touch. I will. Thank you so much, Dr. Ross. You take care. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I know I had a great time talking to Dr. Ross and she gave so so much great information to Follow up with uh, the article that I how I found Dr. Ross. I actually I'm putting it into the show notes as well as some some helpful guides for you. If you if you do experience an eating disorder or disordered eating, I'm going to connect you. Well, not personally, but I'll send you some information that should be able to help you. If not, feel free to send an email and you know let's um continue to have a safe space. Uh, so as I always say. Remember to stay woke, stay well, stay thriving. This is Tierra Burns, and this is Tea for the Queen. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and a fantastic weekend, whether you're inside or out. Oh, and um, happy Halloween. How could I not say happy Halloween? Happy Halloween.